0: Good day to you, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Film Focus, episode 172, the top 10 films of 2023. episode of film focus i'm your host the hypersonic 55 and i'm glad that you decided to join me once again for some film related discussion and here we are in the tail end of december of 2023 the year is almost over we only have a few more days until we're in 2024 and get to hit the reset button and look forward to a bunch of new films all over again but before we get around to that we're gonna do the top 10 as we usually do around here now Unfortunately, I didn't get around to seeing as many films as I would have liked because my local cinema is pants and there are certain films that you'd think because of the notoriety surrounding certain directors or companies or the history that comes with certain uh, genres or bits of animation, you'd think that they'd get a screening in my town. But no, my town is crap. So I've ended up having to travel to London a few more times than I expected or go back to Sheffield to check some of these films out. But even then, timing wise because I had other events on, I didn't get around to seeing a bunch of these. So one film specifically, The Boy and the Heron, I was looking forward to getting around to seeing that just before the year was over. But again, my local cinema is pants. So the nearest place to check that out is at least two towns over and I don't have that kind of time with my schedule. So yeah, if I'm gonna do a review for that, it probably won't be until January. Thanks a lot, stupid cinema crap. Anyway, with that being said, I'm going to go through my top 10 now. Normally I do my um, films that didn't quite make the list but I don't really have that many to throw in there so I'm just going to go with my top 10. Bear in mind at least half of the entries on this list didn't get their own dedicated episode to have a full review which I did plan on doing but again time was just not on my side during the summer and then after I started doing night shifts at the tail end of August my sleep schedule and just activities in general to try and do work-life ba- the work life balance has just been impossible. So yeah, apologies for all that in advance, but with all that being said, let's get started. Alright, at number 10 we have No One Will Save You, a sci-fi horror film that just sort of appeared out of nowhere in the sense that I don't remember there being too much hype surrounding this film prior to its release, but once it did come out, A certain amount of people were talking about it and then it just gained more word of mouth and gained a certain reputation online as being one of the most unique experiences people had had this year and they talked it up as one of the best horror films of the year. And I had heard from some people to go into this film blind because it would enhance your experience. It's sort of like how people were talking about the, what was the name of that bloody film from last year, Barbarian. Um, But, in my opinion, this film is way better than Barbarian. So it's a different take on the home invasion story. You have this one girl who's shunned from society, who ends up having her house invaded by certain individuals. And the way in which this film plays out is familiar, yet very unique in the way in which it chooses to portray some of these actions. And there is a surprising amount of heart and depth to the film that I did not expect the invaders have very unique designs and there's some cool stuff that is done with their abilities and sound that is really quite cool which just made me think you know what we haven't seen that from this kind of invader for a while so that's pretty cool and i feel like the uh, lack of dialogue in the film was very very good i'd say for about a good 95% of the film there is no dialogue but it's one of those sort of things that's not really noticeable as once you're in the rhythm of the film you just sort of go with it but then when dialogue does come up it's like oh oh yeah damn there is no dialogue in that film was like crap but yeah I just thought it was shot very well it has a really good color scheme really good lighting again I was quite compelled by the plot and even though the ending will leave people in one of two minds, I've heard a lot of people say that they like the film up until the ending. I thought, again, it was a unique premise and just had a very, for lack of a better term, unique ending. But that still felt satisfying, in my opinion. And the central performance from, what is her name again, Caitlin Dever was very, very good. She carried that film so well. So, yeah, if you haven't got the chance to check out... No one will save you, I would highly recommend it. Alright, at number 9 we have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Now, of all the superhero material that's come out this year, I know a lot of people probably won't have any of them in uh, top 10s at all, but for some reason, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 has stuck with me since its release, and I think that's just due to the way in which James Gunn handles his material his direction, his approach to story and characters has always resonated with me in a way that some of the other MCU films haven't. And even though I don't quite like volume two of the Guardians films as much as everyone else does, the first film is still in my top 10 of the MCU. And again, I just think it's down to the way in which James Gunn handles his story and characters. It makes you care and get invested in their their hopes, their dreams, their highs, their lows. And like when he tells a story, it just has a lot more substance and you know compared to a lot of the TV and films that Marvel have been putting out there recently this was just a cut above so I was glad that we finally got to get a send off for these characters in a way that felt fitting, that was emotional, heartfelt and very funny at the same time. He balances all of these different tones very well, making use of established characters while introducing new ones and while this film isn't devoid of any issues because obviously there are some especially when it comes to the use of the high evolutionary who was decent as a villain but I don't think as memorable as he could have been I do think that the introduction of Adam Warlock was rushed and he really didn't need to be in the film you could have taken him out and a lot of this film probably would have benefited from his like disappearance and the use of multiple different like uh, choices of music from different like decades as opposed to having some from a specific decade like the previous soundtracks definitely didn't give the film as a better sense of musical cohesion as what came before. Overall I still think it was a really fun film I just had a really satisfying time with it by the time it was over and the action scenes in this film bloody hell was so elaborate and well done so yeah hats off to Guardians and hats off to James Gunn he was able to wrap this franchise up in a really nice way for me Alright at number 8 we have the Barbie film now Again, I had not very high expectations going into this, but I thought the trailers looked pretty fun. But I didn't expect to have as much fun with the film as I did. Now, I know there's been a myriad of complaints about this film from, you know, people that just don't like films with women in there to people who are questioning the uh, messages and themes of this film being too overt and elaborate and pandering. And, you know, just some people that I guess is just an aversion to fun but for me I thought the film was just a delightful time with more in there than I was expecting. The whole idea of like Barbie going through this existential crisis and going to the real world and finding out how that works and then having Ken tag along with her and then finding out how that adjusts his point of view and how that changes the world of Barbie. The soundtrack is really cool full of really interesting you know unique songs but I just like specifically the way in which the Barbie world was crafted the crazy unique elements that come with that world the set design the color scheme the costumes and the (laughs) crazy dance numbers and like sort of action scenes is so elaborate and weird and just meticulously crafted in a way where you could tell that you know whoever was making this film everybody involved was having fun but they were also thinking about how it worked and yeah man it was just I can't say anything more than just fun it was just a good time I'm not like over the moon about the film but it was just yeah just fun and in some cases that's all you can really ask for. Alright at number 7 we have Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. To say I was looking forward to this film would be an understatement. My hype for this film was beyond the heavens. And I will say that initially, my thoughts on the film were a little lower than I was hoping. This film was definitely still filled with a lot of those really fun elements that come with the Mission Impossible franchise. A crazy mission for Ethan Hunt and his crew to go about and take care of. You travel the world, you get to have really fun different types of action sequences, whether it be on foot or hand-to-hand combat or, you know, in vehicles and all this other sort of crazy stuff. You had all of that and more and you got to learn a little bit more about Ethan Hunt's history, have this new adversary and another film that would, you know, pose the interesting questions and dangers of AI. I just feel like when compared to the previous films, it's just not as well crafted as what came before and there's a few more holes you could poke in this plot. But again, when this film is firing on all cylinders, it can be just a thrill ride full of chaos. And that train sequence towards the end just turned into a nail biting sequence of just how the hell is anybody going to get through this? But yeah, after seeing it a second time, I realized, yeah, even though this film has flaws, I'm still having a lot of fun with it. Uh, the cast were great. The film score was good. Again, the action scenes were great. And I'm very curious to see how they're going to wrap this whole thing up when Dead Reckoning Part 2 comes out. But yeah, just it's a solid another solid entry in this franchise. Alright, and number six we have Oppenheimer. Now I know for some people this is their film of the year and it is easy to see why. This is probably one of the most elaborate films that Christopher Nolan has done, just in terms of the meticulous detail that went into telling the story. And you know, having a plot that has a non-linear story in terms of going forward and backwards in time, chronicling the life of Oppenheimer when he came up with the idea for the atom bomb, the people he worked with to construct, then set it off, and then go into these like uh, meetings where people were questioning him about his decisions, about how he came about doing what he did, and yeah, just it's a lot for the three-hour runtime that it goes on for, but once you're in the zone of the film the three hours don't feel as bad as you might expect it's a very well-crafted film with really good visuals a really good attention to detail when it comes to sound and uh, the film score being pretty good the cast is probably one of my favorite casts I've seen for a while Nolan has a good eye for talent and the way in which they assembled the cast for this film was ridiculous obviously Cillian Murphy was great Emily Blunt was great Matt Damon was great Robert Downey Jr in one of his finest performances in years was fabulous, You know Florence Pugh, Casey Affleck, Remy Malik, Kenneth Branagh, the list goes on, the amount of secret man people in this film beyond the trailers was ridiculous, it was just a really good cast, I was just captivated the entire time and yeah man, Oppenheimer is just really good. Alright, at number 5 we have Killers of the Flower Moon. Now, this is a film I kept forgetting was actually happening, even though I had seen the trailers before. I think it was around a month before the film was coming out. A couple friends kept reminding me, oh, yeah, this is one to look out for. I was like, oh, yeah, of course, the new Scorsese film. And yeah, I'm glad I got around to checking it out because it was pretty damn good. The three and a half hour runtime was a little intimidating, but once you get into it, much like The Wolf of Wall Street, you sort of just forget about that runtime. And once you're in the zone, the film just sort of washes over you, you're engaged and compelled to check it out right through to the end. And when it's over, you actually don't really notice the runtime, at least I didn't. I thought that this film was fascinating, very insightful, immensely frustrating and like depressing at times just because you know that this is based on true events and you can only imagine how much more people had this done to them on a regular basis. Just the corruption and deplorable nature of man running around trying to steal this oil from the Native Americans just for profit and you know spreading their corruption around America it's just it's insane and just the amount of times you just keep wanting to like you know put your hands in your face and just like just it's sad it really is but again it's really well crafted and the performances from everybody involved were great, but I would highlight specifically Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio, who have been you know, legends in this game of acting for a while for a good reason. They are still putting out incredible performances, and both of them do incredible jobs in this film. But I feel like it's Lily Gladstone who really steals the spotlight from them in this film, as her performance in this film was great. She did so much with even less where there was just parts of the film where she didn't really do use that much dialogue it was all about how she acted through her body her physical presence and then just through facial acting and just stares there was so much that she emoted through her eyes alone which was just incredible but there were moments where it did require her to you know make some noise or like you know was it you know speak and she had some of the most emotional moments in the film which was just incredible so yeah If you haven't checked this film out, I would implore you to do so. Do not be afraid of that runtime, as once you get into the groove of it, you will not notice it at all. All Alright, number four is Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Now, this is a film I think I'd heard some light talk about just before it came out over here in the UK, but I mostly went into this blind and then ended up really, really enjoying it. It's another one of those coming-of-age comedy dramas that features a lot of interesting sort of stuff that if you're you know coming from a man's perspective some of this stuff you might not be privy to especially if you didn't grow up with like you know sisters or you know women in your life to give you some of those conversations about how difficult it is to grow up and then start adopting certain changes in your body when you start going through puberty and all that but this film covers those issues along with some other family and religious elements that were all handled in a really solid way that allowed you to see basically peek into a window of a different kind of life but then get all this interesting information and the performances from everybody involved was really good especially from the titular character played by Abby Ryder Fortson who was just delightful and Rachel McAdams was also really damn good um, as the main female character in there, what well, main adult character should I say um, but also Kathy Bates she was just delightful in this film also um, and Benny Safdie was also really really good it was just just a fascinatingly delightful film and a good follow-up to The Edge of Seventeen from director Kelly Freeman Craig. Alright at number three we have Ryan, Lane which up until recently was my second favorite film of the year now I I'm not really big into rom-coms say for like a handful in my life that I actually quite like but the trailer for this film was definitely giving me like you know good vibes and then to see the film play out it was just wonderful you have these two different characters who have come out of relationships and happen to randomly run into each other on a day out and then they end up just sharing elements of their lives together and then forming a bond and then seeing the shenanigans and hijinks that they get into is just delightful seeing how they had these two main cast members play off of each other and act really well but also incorporate london as a character in the film as well with these really cool cutaways or moments where you get to see the characters walk through places like you know brixton market and stuff like that it's always great when you see a film that is able to incorporate the environment into the film itself to make it feel like a character. And yeah, just the tone of this film, it's sweet, it's funny, it's delightful, it's lighthearted, it breezes by. And while it definitely has certain cozy adventures you've seen in this genre before, they're handled in a way that just have just the right level of emotion, a little bit of cheese and a little bit of heart that just comes together in a way that's just... Simply good and I have been singing this film's praises as I saw it. I checked it out a second time I think during the tail end of the summer when I showed it to my mum and she quite liked it as well. So yeah man just if you haven't seen Rylane give it a chance. It's really really fun. Really delightful stuff. All right, and at number two, we have a film that I had such a hard time trying to figure out if it was my favorite film of the year or not. But I feel like it was just a smidge lower than my number one pick. So number two is Godzilla Minus One. Now, I'd heard through the grapevine once this film had dropped in America that this is one of the best films of the year. It's one of the best Godzilla films ever. So my hype levels had increased exponentially over the uh, past few weeks with the lead up to me seeing the film on. I believe it was December 17th so just a little while after it came out here in the UK and I thankfully got to see it in IMAX and believe me if you get the opportunity to see this film in IMAX that is the best way to do so because this film was hype as hell. I have never seen a Godzilla film that had thrilled me, had overwhelmed me and just kept me captivated in that kind of way not for many many years. I would say my favorite Godzilla film of the original Toho films would be the 1954 film just because I've always been more of a fan of Godzilla when he was the solo creature causing chaos to the Japanese population and it was down to a number of individuals to come up with a plan to take him out. Now don't get me wrong, there is a place for Godzilla to run around fighting other kaiju and causing chaos in a cheesy, silly kind of way but with the way in which the Monsterverse has evolved into this CGI kaiju playground of wrestling and nonsense is just not really my cup of tea so when I saw that this film was coming around and that after having seen it, it, it basically adhered to the you know old-school nature of the original Godzilla but also making it a period piece set after like a World War Two, and the way in which it was able to incorporate the human characters and make them matter in a way that you know didn't take away from the Godzilla action but actually made their story intertwine with the monster but still be as captivating was pretty interesting now I will say that some of the acting did feel a little cheesy and a little over the top a little bit like you're watching a theater play um, so some of the emotional moments were a little bit more exaggerated but to be fair I feel like the small cast of characters helped with you getting to know each of the individuals so when you saw their highs and lows get to like you know experience what they're going through you got to get captivated with them so when it got down to like the more emotional or more heavy moments you were on board for like their adventures the visual effects for this film were really really good and I liked how they use CGI in this film I would say to a degree at certain points it doesn't look as polished as certain stuff that you got in the legendary movies but at the same time I feel like they use their budget very well to mesh well with the live-action footage and the design of Godzilla in this film is probably my favorite of the Japanese version so far he definitely looks like a version of the character that came before but just has these more aggressive like scars and burns on his body that looks like um you know molten like you know was it like a rock or like you know hardened like lava and the way in which they designed his dorsal fins are all crazy jagged and all over the place but the use of the atomic breath oh my god ridiculous ridiculous the most ridiculous thing i've ever seen in my life so hype so over the top filth disgustingly good but also the sound design in this film oh everything you can hear from like you know is it Godzilla's like roar to the sound effects of like you know was it his uh, atomic breath to the use of weapons but then there's the, also the lack of sound during certain sequences is really good and the film score oh they created some really cool original music for this film but the way that they were able to incorporate the original Godzilla theme from the nineteen fifty four film into this perfect Godzilla minus one if you get the chance to check it out please do so it's hype as hell and then there is my number one which hasn't moved since I saw it back in June is Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse it's again one of those cases where you know you go into a film with like really high expectations coming off of the original Spider-Verse film and you're just wondering how are they going to take that foundation and elevate I knew that the trailers looked good, but I did not expect that film to captivate me in the way in which it did. My love for Spider-Man has never been higher. Just the way in which was able to have this multiverse related story, but then still follow Miles and Gwen as the central characters in their progression of not only their lives as individuals, but also as Spider-Man, but then know about this new version of the Spider-Verse, and all of the intricate details that come with, like, you know, what heroes are supposed to do, what they're not supposed to do, and then find out how to navigate these uh, canon based events and what happens when you don't deal with that. And the cool thing is, the rules of this universe are laid out bare, but they're simple to follow, simple to execute, and then you get to see all these interesting other Peter Parker variants or Spider Man variants, should I say, and the cameos are wonderful from like uh, the video game to the TV based material to various different comic book characters that we haven't seen for many many moons now and the humor is great but also the heart the drama is also good and I know for a lot of people this film doesn't measure up to the original because it is a little bit more elaborate it does have some stuff that probably takes away from Miles being the focus and also ends on a cliffhanger that being said none of that stuff bothered me at all I feel like this was a great progression of what came before the characters are all hitting 100% the visual presentation of this film is absurd with the amount of different art styles that were going into this especially with the sort of painter style that was going on the color schemes were ridiculous going from uh, you know one universe to another or adopting a different kind of art style and the rhythm of the animation being crazy and then the music Good lord, the film score by Daniel Pemberton was ridiculous. But also, the soundtrack for this film, while probably not being as memorable as the previous one in terms of having more popular songs, I feel like this soundtrack with its uh, song selection was really, really good and, you know, just met the mood of the uh, scenes that they were used in. And yeah, just by the time, like, you know, Across the Spider-Verse was over, I was just over the moon and so hyped to see where this uh, franchise would go in the future. Now, it obviously has to be mentioned that I have to tip my hat to the animators who had the largest task in the world to try and craft this movie considering the behind the scenes drama that we heard about this film. But anyway, with all that being said, Across the Spider-Verse is amazing and you should check it out if you haven't done so already. All right, and that is my top 10 done now i know i spent a little bit more time on certain entries and i think that was just due to the fact that i didn't get around to talking about them in a specific episode so apologies about that but i just needed to get my thoughts off my chest anyway now it's time for you to relate to me what is your top 10 films of the year is there anything i missed anything that you have to say please be sure to drop it in the comment section below or hit me up on twitter why i'm at hypersonic 55 or at film focus 55 Check out the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and other places where podcasts can be found. And, yeah, thank you for listening. If you are one of the consistent listeners that have been, you know, paying attention to the podcast over the course of 2023, I know my upload schedule has been, you know, kind of pants, I'm not going to lie. But if you were here checking me out, I appreciate you. Anyway, I'll see you again in 2024, where I will make my list for my top 10 films of 2024 and then get around to doing whatever additional reviews that come. But until the next time, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Hypersonic 55 signing out. Peace.